Oh, David Moore has a touchdown catch. Oh, like that. Like For the fans out there, it was, we miss you so much. <laughs> I can't tell you um, how much, it, you know, we're so used to this extraordinary following and crowd and, and energy and juice and all that. And so I don't know if you saw our guys, but our guys were trying to fill in for you. Um, and uh, I, I just wish so much that you'd have been there for the last play of the game. I just think it would have been just so crazy. That was quite something. Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, a podcast for UK Seattle Seahawks fans. Joining myself, this week, as ever, is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I am good. Thank you. Sunday was a, a rare good sports day all round, so we will take that <laughs> with bells on. The old Paul Simon song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, that was kind of 50 Ways to Create Havoc in the South Coast by Harry Kane, right? It seemed like it, yeah. 50 Ways to Create Yet More Love. For me, <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously Sunday night was uh, wild on wild on wild, and here is how all of that sounded. Here comes the blitz, Russ stands strong, avoids, now he's moving right side, throws a dart to the back of the end zone, touchdown Seahawks to Tyler Lockett. Four-man rush by the Patriots, Russ, seven-step drop is going to let it fly deep, got a man out here, it's Metcalf, reaches up, makes the catch, touchdown Seahawks, how in the world did he catch that and a man all over him and he still reaches back catches the bomb for six the Seahawks are a point away from tying it up again from 54 yards an absolutely perfect rainbow to DK Metcalf one play back in Wilson goes the other way Ball 28 times and thrown the ball 28 times. Pass number 29 is caught. Chris Carson for the touchdown. Newton from the shotgun. Johnson, the fullback, wings on the left side. Newton's going to run the ball. He gets hit. He flipped up in the air. He doesn't get there. Clock ticks down. It's all zeros. What a play by the Seahawks defense. They throw their helmets. They are going nuts on the field. Cam Newton, the first time tonight, I believe they've stopped him dead in his tracks, and I believe it was Bobby Wagner who got there to do it. What an end to what a game. The Seahawks win 35-30 to 30 over the Patriots. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. It was chaotic. It was Seahawky, and it, we really could have done without that, all that happening at 20-5 to 5 in the morning, Adam. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to stay up, at least make it entertaining. <laughs> so that, that's, one, that's one thing. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, there was certainly no shortage of things to – to talk about and, and remember because it was it was a brilliant game. I the first half was just like a good slow burner NFL game. And then the second half, just carnage, just back and forth, big plays happening from big players. It's always great when the best players on the field are the ones making the best plays and yeah. the ones that you think about before me. Even like, like you can't, it's impossible to like Julian Edelman but you've got, you've got to respect the guy because he, uh, I mean, he flings himself around and he, yeah, he's probably the one that I thought especially was the most Tom Brady-dependent receiver of them all. To see him do it with another another quarterback is amazing. And he's just – it's quite nice when you get, like, a an enemy that's not, like – I don't know, like, when we played the Rams and, like, Pharaoh Cooper was running back. You can't hate Pharaoh <laughs> Cooper, do you know what I mean? But Edelman is that you can properly hate him. So, uh, in a respectful way. So that, I thought it was just great fun. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that Julian Edelman had a career day and the quarterback was not Tom Brady is a very 2020 thing in 2020, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, so Seahawks side though, Adam Russell Wilson through two weeks has nine touchdowns and just 11 incompletions. Obviously, apart from the, the interception was turned into a pick six, which is one of those things where like QB wins shouldn't be a stat, but either should that interception go on um, Russell Wilson's 2020 docket because Greg Olson really should be hauling that in. It, it was, it was, it was week one, like, but even stronger, better, faster, everything. I mean, this is incredible to watch this dude at the minute. Isn't it? It, was, it was pretty perfect. I mean, as you say, you know, I guess quarterbacks get a lot of yards that they don't deserve from yards after the, after the catch that, uh, you know, maybe don't, don't reflect truly on them. So maybe they have to stomach the odd interception that, that isn't on them. Although it does seem a bit ridiculous, especially as I did see some people saying that, well, that's why you shouldn't pass. Um, which was uh, a take for sure, um, which I had to have a little nibble back at. It really drew me in. Um, but yeah, he was amazing. I mean, all five throws for the, the touchdowns were like completely different and showed off a different skill set. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's him and it's him and it's Mahomes. And, that, and then there's a pretty big gap when it comes to the kind of the throwing quarterbacks out there for, for my money. Yeah, 21-28, 288, five touchdowns to five different receivers. And I think I don't think we can go much further into the pod this week, Adam, without talking about decaling Metcalf. I mean, we we kind of tried to guess how Bill Belichick would play it. He put Gilmore on him more often than not. And for the first time since, I think, October 2018, uh, Stefan Gilmore gave up a touchdown to a wide receiver. And it was, I mean, he's through two weeks. He had 495-1 against the Falcons. And on Sunday, I'd only have 492-1. And he's just, like, I think we said a couple of weeks ago, he's the one player we we were looking forward to seeing because his ceiling is, like, still a question mark. It could be nothing. It could be absolutely everything. And I think even through two weeks, the, the stuff he's doing, the, the plays he's making is probably above most people's even mildest expectations for DK, isn't it? Well, I think we always thought he could make the play, yeah. but I think he's becoming such a consistent in-game. Like he's not just a, a flashes player anymore. He's a he's a guy that's impacting the the whole game from start to finish. Whereas last year, you know, the Eagles game or whatever, like he'd make one amazing play and you wouldn't necessarily see him. Like you kind of feel like he's in the game a lot more than he was last year. And if that's the case, then you know, as you say, the sky really is the limit. Yeah, and also he's he played every single offensive snap on Sunday, which is quite rare for a wide receiver, especially a wide receiver in a team which supposedly is going to run first. But Tyler Lockett was pretty much exactly the same as the week before. DK made all the massive plays, and Tyler Lockett just a master catches, and obviously got a touchdown as well. But he's he's it's. I don't think enough is made of how easily he stepped into the breach of Doug Baldwin over the last 20, 20 or so games, is he? I mean, it's, it's, I know, I know he was there before and he was showing something, but like, it, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's somewhat unheralded how easily and how quickly and how well he's made that step into the guy, isn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I think when we signed him, we kind of. Not, not, not a great comparison, but I think we probably thought it'd be like a Tyreek Hill flyer, you know, big play, you yeah. know, 
ESPN top 10 plays of the day thing, but I don't think anyone expected him to become like a safety blanket. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, and also with, with the spectacular, uh, as you say, I mean, to, to fill, to fill that void of, of what he is. I mean, he's almost like, he's kind of like our version of Travis Kelsey, like in the sense that I think without him, I think the offense would really be, would, would struggle a lot more than it does. I think he's probably the, the one guy in that the, the skill position that you really can't afford to lose right now, because he just is such a great chain mover uh, and provide such a yeah safety blanket for for Wilson to to do the rest of the stuff that yeah I'm I'm amazed at his his ascension to to where he is now which is probably a top ten receiver yeah I think you had Marlon Humphrey the Ravens DB over the off season saying he was the best 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 receiver he faced last year as well which is um, pretty high praise because Humphrey's pretty damn good seven catches on eight targets for Tyler Lockett so that consistency just goes to every aspect of his box score the, the, the other one I mean there's obviously a lot of touchdowns go around on Sunday and I, I think we probably should mention the next one Adam um, were you aware before Sunday night that if they kicked the pylon on the way down that meant it was a touchdown no I didn't I mean the pylon is a weird thing in the sense that you can seemingly do an awful lot with it and it still counts as a score Um I didn't know what the rule was, but I was obviously <laughs> lauding it on all forms of socials that the guy that I picked to score a touchdown did score a touchdown. So I was kind of just ignoring the fact that the pylon and, and the, the rules and just hoping the two arms would stay up in the air. And <laughs> so they were, thank God. Otherwise, I would have been eating some serious crow. Yeah, so after about an 18-month absence, the David Moore Hall of Fame wagon... It could be back. back. Yeah. Could I mean, back. but it's... It's it's an incredible catch. I mean, it's, the throw is just unbelievable, same as the DK one. But the the catch and the body control, because he, I think Collins was pointing out, he kicks the pylon and then realizes what he's done, and just to make sure, has the mind to get that foot inbounds within what half an inch of being in the ground. It's unbelievable. But it's just they're phen- phenom athletes, aren't they? These NFL players. They are. I mean. Some of the stuff these players do, I think uh, if you saw Calvin Ridley's touchdown on Sunday, uh, just the body control that these guys have in yeah. like, those helmets are fucking heavy. <laughs> I've seen you put one on. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not sure I could just like walk down a street with a helmet, on, <laughs> let alone do the stuff they do and the pads and, you know, 11 guys trying to kill you out there. The body control and the wherewithal they have in, in the highest moments is just on another planet. Um, and yeah, that was just an incredible thing to see. Yeah, uh, Freddie Swain was the other one. One catch, 21 yards, had half of Seattle to run into and ran into the end zone. I mean, it's obviously not making the impact that DK made last year, but it is encouraging after some of the, we'll say, duds that the team have drafted, especially when you watch the just constant procession the Steelers managed to get from the draft at wide receiver mm-hmm. but it's, it's I mean he's got a fumble recovery on the punt fumble thing last week in Atlanta and a touchdown and he seems to be I think his snap count went up last from week one to week two as well it's, it's kind of the ascension you kind of want and he is just just in inverted commas a sixth round pick and it's, it was it was a pretty clever play design as people are pointing out on Twitter but the fact it went to a sixth round rookie is something to only be encouraged about isn't it yeah, I mean, the play design was great because when you, I think it was a mesh concept, they call it, when you're kind of yeah. muddling everyone up in the middle, you're probably like, as a defender, like, where's DK? Where's Lockett? 
what? where's Carson? And you kind of just forget that there's another guy that, <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a number that you've probably not even accounted for in the week. Yeah, like you're probably yeah. not thinking about number 18. <laughs> and so it was a really clever design to get a guy that's probably not someone that the, the Patriots spent much of the week thinking about, just wide open with the freedom of uh, the Pacific Northwest to run into. Yeah, and I think I think Chris Carson was in the slot, and Tyler Lockett was at running back as well, which kind of added to the mishmash confusion from the. Um, I mean, that I can't remember what one, I think it's fifty-one for the Patriots is completely befuddled. He just loses, mm-hmm. managed to lose like three players on one play, so it's quite impressive. Uh, running game, Adam Chris Carson seventy-two yards, but again, only five carries for Carlos Hyde. He looked good as well, but Travis Homer had a bounce back as well, and it's kind of. It, it's, it, everything kind of seemed to go right and well for the offence bar that pick six yeah I mean look Chris Carson's two injuries probably haven't come about from fatigue but if you can protect the guy that he is fresher in December and there is more of a chance of having Carson in the playoffs you've got to do that at all costs because yeah. probably you know obviously the running game wasn't necessarily the reason we didn't go as far as we did but you know we still rolled out Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch and the you know, divisional round game in the playoffs. Now, if you can roll out Penny and Carson, um, you're obviously going to have just a better chance just, you know, just naturally because of that. So um, I think Carson had 20 touches on Sunday, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, that that's healthy. Uh, when it was up to 30, 35 last year in games, that's just obviously not viable. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, as I say, the depth, we, we said this last week, like just the number of players that they've got that can actually make an impact. You know, there's no like, Brian Walters on this team anymore. Um, every, every, everyone there that, that dresses on a Sunday, you kind of feel can have an impact. Um, yeah. Not to hate, not to hate on one of the greatest fair catchers of all time in Brian. <laughs> um, Safe pair hands, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's just uh, it was just a weird continuation. But I think the most exciting part is that I know they've lost to quite a few players to COVID and. Uh, Matt Patricia just trying to bung, bung players over to Detroit with him as well but that's still a Bill Belichick as we said last week it's still Bill Belichick defence and Russell Wilson that isn't supposed to happen against a Bill Belichick you're not supposed to do what Russell Wilson did and what I mean, m- most offensive plays did against that defence it's just I think that more than the win is the style and manner of how the offence looked I mean we We'll get into the Dallas game this week, which could be a whole other roller coaster for several reasons. It's just, it, it's, yeah. I think everything so far is just even above even the probably the most positive person's expectations, aren't they? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Offensively, anyway. Yeah, uh, defensively. Now, I watched my football team live for the first time in six months on Friday, and spent most of the second half wondering. How the hell we got uh, Gustavo Hamer and no other championship team did is kind of the same watching Jamal Adams. I mean, why or why would I know he's a pretty hefty price, but how the hell do we get him, Adam? Yeah, he's uh, he's something. Um, I mean, I think obviously people will always talk about the the draft capital given up. I would say he's already paid back the third round pick we've <laughs> yeah. given up for him because he's probably saved you about 10 points already across the course of the season, if not more. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's weird because you, when you naturally, when he signs, you think, well, we've now replaced old Thomas because obviously we haven't, but that was kind of the, the natural, I don't want to say lazy, but just, it was like one all pro superstar out another one in, but they're very different. I mean, Adams is 
coverage I didn't actually think was particularly no. great on Sunday. And it, 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 it's not, it's, I mean, obviously Diggs was out, which didn't help, but it's not a no-fly zone back there at the moment. But the stuff he's doing up at the line of scrimmage and you know, at the second level is just incredible. I mean, yeah. you know, he brought to one man doesn't bring down Cam Newton when he's running into the end zone. And From behind. Yeah. Uh, well, from uh, he, he did him from his laces uh, to the right end zone, but he stopped the two-point conversion just with a head-on a head-on tackle. Like, that doesn't happen. Um, and yeah, he, he's, you know, he's obviously a, a terrific leader. It's, it's another alpha on that defense. And he's, he's someone that, you know, people are going to be afraid of catching a crossing route against him because they know they're going to get absolutely whacked. So he's, uh, he's been just great so far. And um, a real tone setter that I think the, d- the defense was massively lacking in the lo- last year. Yeah, uh, uh, I agree. I think the, the thing with Jamal and Pascal, he was, I think Adam and Burnt him a couple of times for 20, 25 yard games, which obviously is a massive no-no for Pete Carroll stopping the big plays. But that, as you say, only happened once Quandre Diggs was ejected in the first half. I think you, the, if you, we see the Seahawks' first choice safety duo, that isn't going to happen. I think Jamal with Quandre, I think Sunday kind of showed how wildly fun it's going to be when it is Jamal and Quandre and the longer those two can play back there it's going to be a lot of fun watching Jamal Adams again led the team with 10 tackles <laughs> one tackle for a loss and two quarterback hits that's a safety doing that uh, well obviously Darius Lane for the Colts went over 300 tackles on Sunday for his career the cookies do that and that's a linebacker he's expected to do that almost but it's a safety and it's just incredible but uh, you Probably Wagner made the massive play at the end, but again, Adam, the defense kind of, it was the archetypal bend, but don't break. I mean, they've given up the, almost a thousand yards in, in two games, but they're, they're not giving up the most important thing, and that's six and seven or eight points, Adam. Well, I mean, they gave up 30 on the weekend. We didn't think they'd give up more than 20, did we? Yeah. Uh, that was our prediction. So uh, there's concerns there. I think, you know, the pass rush is not good, which we knew was going to be the case. Um, <clears throat> I'm slightly worried about the pass coverage as well. Um, but again, they're not really getting over the top of us. It's just kind of a lot of in front, which I guess is bend, but don't break. But I think Sunday will be a real litmus test because it's probably the first time they're coming up against a properly rounded offense. You know, everything's there for Dallas offensively with the weapons. Yeah, you know, They've got the quarterback, the running game and the receivers. Um, Atlanta, you could probably say, didn't have the receivers uh, sorry that the running game Patriots didn't really have any of it apart from just terri- terrific coaching and you know Josh McDaniels does did a great job and I think Cam Newton probably played better than we've seen him play for two three years um, one pick aside so it, I think Sunday will be a real test to see how, how that goes uh, I found the defence concerning um, especially as you know we're a team that doesn't play in a dome so you're not going to get perfect conditions for Wilson to be slinging it around every week. And I think it's raining on Sunday in Seattle, which, you know, is potentially concerning because there's only so many times you can ask your quarterback to play at that level. Uh, and let's be honest, we needed Wilson to play at that level to win that game based on the, the deficiencies defensively. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's just a weird way because like, like you said, the passers kind of didn't get there and Pete Carroll comes out obviously protecting the team and said, yeah, Patrick was 
what we wanted and I'd, just, I'd love to know what they want because I'm not too sure what that is because Cam Newton had all day more often than not I mean I think Alge Collier missed one there's a couple of missed sacks and missed big tackle for us with just, just through Cam being Cam but yeah I mean it's it's not great but again like the secondary he didn't have Quandre Diggs didn't have Marquise Blair for most of that game so you can kind of like point to that I guess but I think what I think. Did you, what did you uh, make of the ejection? Uh, it, I think, like I put in our group chat, I think before it happened, if Quandre Diggs is in college, like he's, he's getting ejected. I, it's just, it's just, it's to the letter of the law. I think, but nothing else. I think Nikhil Harry's dealt with it while well. he said he didn't have any, didn't think it was dirty, and Quandre Diggs reached out after the game as well. But I don't know. It's it 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 didn't look great. But also, I mean, Cam Chancellor basically made his name off a not-too-dissimilar hit, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, it made me laugh that, yeah, he gets ejected. And I guess by the letter of the law, it's rightly so. But about 20 minutes later, Carlos Hyde absolutely trucks someone in front of the Seahawk bench. And the whole bench is going ballistic. <laughs> um, and there wasn't, a, obviously, the, the speed which they're running to it was slightly different. But it's just funny how, like, physicality if it I think we forget sometimes how fast these guys are moving and the idea that that Diggs could have just like had the foresight to you know get lower he was moving at like a billion miles an hour Um, so it did make me laugh a little bit how they're you know you know a little bit of different impact can have such a dramatic impact on the way in which each each hit is perceived but uh, yeah I mean obviously it's important to put that as a a big thing We, we basically played without you know two of our three safeties for 50 out of the 60 minutes of the game. So uh, maybe I should temper my my fear of the back end a little bit because, uh, yeah, that was significant. Yeah, and Marquis player obviously is out for the season when ACL after he got friendly fire by KJ Wright. I'm not too sure what KJ Wright what was, he was doing Was doing because the play was pretty dead and Marquis player was in between him and the player. It was a, a rather strange moment from KJ. Uh, but I think like, last week we talked a bit about Shaquille Griffin. I've watched the game back and I don't remember anything even going to his sideline. Everything was in that middle of the field once Quandre went because I think before Quandre when Quandre Diggs was out there they were running the ball to very little success the Patriots were um, I think I think the mix of not getting any yards on the ground and then Diggs' ejection kind of pushed them to throw the middle ball down the middle of the field. Obviously, Dunbar had the interception. Uh, Trey dislocated his finger. Apparently, three players on Sunday, uh, Seahawks players dislocated their finger, which is just very strange of a weekend of injuries in the NFL. But I think uh, it was strange. I kind of think that the defense was better on Sunday. I think I think Calvin Ridley and Brian Gage or whichever Marvel character that is um, kind of had their way with us in, in Atlanta. I didn't kind of, it was just Edelman and Cam Newton being 2015, 2016 Cam Newton which kind of put Pedro, I, I, I don't know, like the eye test for the defence apart from the pass rush was kind of alright I think. It's kind of a big deal, though, of saying apart from the pass rush. I mean, it's yeah, but like yeah, but we, uh, I think, yeah, but when yeah, but when you give up a thousand yards in two games, it's it's always perhaps going to be more on the secondary. But I thought the secondary, for the most part, was all right. As I say, I, I think I'm gonna 
I'm going to wait and see what Sunday brings this yeah. week before I uh, yeah. make any any statements on it. Cause yeah. it's going to be that we'll we'll know where we are after Sunday defensively. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, Marquis Blair was one Seahawks player who was ruled out for the season after Sunday with a uh, knee injury. But also, Bruce Irvin also tore his knee up on a. Well, it's just pretty innocuous pass rush, and his his uh, leg went all wobbly. I mean, we've we've spoke about Bruce quite a lot over the last few weeks because it's just it's just fun to see him back in the building. That's that's a massive shame for someone who's on the other side of his thirties, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he had a great run stuff quite early on in the game, and he was looking at it, and it was just one of those horrible injuries with with these ACLs because you kind of. We've seen enough of them now to know exactly what their reaction is on the field when a player's done his ACL. And you've got that 24-hour wait for Schefter to respond, to tweet it and then 24 hours and one minute for Rappaport to, to tweet it, what's happened. Um, but yeah, you like you know, and it's such a shame walking off because I think deep down we all knew at the time that was the end of maybe Bruce Irvin's career. I don't want to say it. Uh, but maybe you know, time in Seattle. Yeah, which is which is a shame because uh, yeah, he just seems a properly nice bloke. Uh, obviously, the final play of the game it come down to that's a pretty nice tackle I think from KJ Wright got the Pats stopped the Pats going in the end zone on the penultimate play, the final play of the game. Obviously, my initial reaction was shouting Jamal because that's the first thing they shout showed on NBC. Then it become clear that maybe it was LJ and Leno Hill. But after all that, it was the guy we probably should have expected it to be all along the number fifty four. Bobby Wagner blew up Shaq Mason, blew up the play, and the Seahawks won. I mean, it, it, there was there was some kind of level of um, enjoyment watching the clock tick one zero while Cam Newton's still on the ground. That was quite that was quite enjoyable. I got to be honest. Yeah, do they have a time time to call a timeout? Just about. I don't think so. I don't. I'm not sure how many they had left. Maybe they didn't have one, yeah. but. Um, yeah, I mean, if anything, if there's ever a kind of, not that we particularly do this, but, you know, watching the guys on social media, like if ever something put forward the value of tape study, it's learning what Jeff Schwartz and Brian Balding are saying about what Wagner did on that play. Because yeah. I went to bed thinking, I didn't even hear 54 no. all night. <laughs> but like I've, uh, the clips we play the, from uh, Rabel and uh, Al Michaels, Rabel calls it straight away. It's Bobby Wagner. Huh. Um, Straight away. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even notice it, but uh, yeah, such a great push that kind of forced Newton out wide and kind of into the the waiting jaws of LJ Collier, which I never thought I'd say, but here we are. Um, And yeah, just great. Like really just fantastic to see uh, that something that could happen. Yeah, so see what's moved to two. And uh, anyone else you want to put praise to or after Sunday night? I mean... Uh, Anyone else to praise? Brian Schottenheimer. Yeah. Has to be done. Yeah, has to be done. He called a heck of a game. He's yeah. uh, he's moved upstairs to the booth in the last two games. Maybe you can actually see the bloody field for the first time. <laughs> no, that's I mean, not. She was doing good stuff last year. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously quite significant. He's now sitting in the booth and not on the on the sideline. Yeah. Because um, like, Pete Pete said on uh, Monday that he's done it before, and like Pete said before, and kind of gets the benefits. So he kind of like, well, if you do it before and it worked. Why wasn't it done earlier? But that's probably 
slightly harsh and nitpicky, but I don't understand why the coordinators aren't always sitting up there because they no. need to see the whole field. Uh, yeah, it like, kind of makes perfect sense to be. Yeah, it does. There. Yeah, yeah. Like Pete said that he can see obviously the players, he can see the yard markers that have to be communicated. That he can see the substitutions that the other team are playing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's quite high up where those press boxes are because so yeah, it just. It's just a weird, yeah, I don't understand why it took, what, a third season for it to happen, but it's happening and it's benefiting massively. And Russell Wilson now, Adam, I know you care massively and deeply about this, has moved in Vegas to the odds-on favourite for MVP uh, in the final, buzz, the final week of September. Certainly buzzing about that. <laughs> really buzzing about that. And, uh, it's good that we've got Dan Cohen on MVP watch. Uh, for the podcast at the moment, yeah, so uh, yeah. he's keeping it, keeping us abreast of that situation. Thankfully, yeah, uh, I think one for praise for me would be Michael Dixon, who again is just punting the living daylights out of the ball. I think he had sixty-five yarder on Sunday, and Neil mentioned in his comments uh, last week about field position. That's a massive, massive thing for um, this team, and Michael Dixon seems to be. I mean. Myers as well so he's only having to kick extra points that might be why but he's just going about his business uh, quite calmly as well um, one more thing we had a quick conversation on this game and I, I think that's my favourite win in quite a few years Adam uh, I was thinking about this and I think it's difficult not to put the 49ers in Santa Clara last year very high on that list because that was an absolute just ridiculous game uh, and the Rams with Greg the Leg missing the last minute field goal uh, last year was great as well. But I mean, it's one of those which, you know, you're up off the couch at five in the morning, throwing the cushions around, losing it with uh, when you win it, which is uh, always a great way to spend so spend the 5 a.m. hour. Yeah, I think I think at their whole mix of Bill, Cam, Patriots, suddenly like watching what the Rams were doing to the Eagles earlier in the night as well then. But also, like, I don't think I've reacted to so many plays in one game before. Like the DK catch on Gilmore, the David Moore catch, and then obviously the final play. It was like it was audible reactions from me when usually <laughs> just kind of just sit here and just let it wash over me. Uh, it was uh, something we put out to people who maybe listen. Ryan said that that was his favourite win um, from the last few seasons. That the Rams game was it, uh, but the, the, the Pats on Sunday beat it because while it wasn't perfect, there was just so much to love. Callum, who I've never seen on the comments, so hopefully he's a. Uh, a new listener I don't know maybe we've got a new listener this, this hey. cool. uh, he said 49ers away last year when we ended their winning streak was pretty good also I have to say winning against the Bengals in week one as it was my first time watching the Seahawks live which is as good a reason as any to enjoy a game right. was it Raiders five six years ago was uh, well my first game Adam yeah that was your mind was Minnesota at home in Wilson's first year with the first play of the game Adrian Peterson ran 79 <laughs> yards. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> that, was that Brandon, was that Brandon Brown who chased him down? Uh, yeah. And then there was a play where Golden Tate did about a triple somersault in Pike to get into the end zone. <laughs> uh, and uh, we ended up whacking them in the end, but it was, it was a good game, but not, not the greatest start. No. Uh, Martin says he's got to go with the win in San Fran last year. And Andy says the Rams at home last season. So it's kind of, weirdly all on the same track which is always a good sign maybe maybe we are having an influence over people on them who, who would have thought yeah uh, but yeah that's everything for the pats game moving ahead to dallas but before we do we mentioned bruce Irvin a few weeks ago we had danny o'neill from 710 espn who 
if for those who are on social media, has has a pretty firm relationship with Fifty One Bruce Irvin. His I mean, his reaction to this is pretty cool. But here's what he said about Bruce Irvin's uh, career and kind of why he's an easy dude to root for and hope to see back on the field sooner rather than later. Another thing on relationships, and he's certainly not a player who, as you blocked on Twitter, is I think he's the only Seahawks player who follows me. Last time I checked, um, he's come back this season. Uh, Bruce Irvin and McDonald. Ah! I love Bruce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so how did all the well how did the McDonald's thing and I mean Bruce is one of those who's just like he's he's as outgoing as outgoing. He's always got that big tooth, toothy grin on his face as well. I mean, he must be obviously he doesn't get the stage time that the Shermans and Bennett's and Thomas got back in the day, but he's someone who's equally had an in, incredibly interesting journey to where he was in twenty twelve and now where he is again in twenty twenty. It's amazing. I, I sit there. His career makes me smile. Like, I'm so happy that that guy, because you remember when they drafted him, the, the kind of thought was like, how, how, how is this going to work? Like, this is a person that he basically didn't play high school football because he was never eligible. He didn't graduate from high school. He was homeless for a time. He was selling drugs. And then he ended up kind of getting things together and going to a junior college and then going to West Virginia. And then he gets arrested after the combine and everybody's like, what do you, you can you trust this knucklehead and he's he's had a career in which he's done remarkably well so that is the patriots uh, extravaganza from last weekend dealt with uh, quite handily i think i don't i think we got through most points and everything moved into week three to help me adam go through and preview week three and just have a general chit chat is the boss man of the athletic seattle uh mr stephen cohen welcome to the pedestrian podcast thanks i thought i was here to talk everton i'm, I'm all ready for james rodriguez let's go let's do this. hey they had a, they had a good right. win tonight they had a good win they yes i, I mean god what a signing unbelievable yeah, uh, yeah. In spite but I of, guess uh, we could talk Seahawks too. Might have Jordan Pickford throwing two into his own net as usual this evening. They won five <laughs> two tonight. Five goals for every. When was the last time? Back to back games. First time ever, I think, in uh, successive uh, successive games. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Come on, you Blues. There's a big Everton contingent in the uh, like the Men in Blazers guys are uh, Everton fans as well. Where's they? Uh, Where's the Everton love come from? So, we can park the from, stuff. No one cares about. No one cares about. The yeah, podcast. that's just for me. It was it was uh, Tim Howard. Okay, it was when it was you know Landon Donovan was there, and then I think Tim Howard came in afterwards. I just I love Tim Howard, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I started watching the Premier League mostly because of him, and then just I also I grew up a, uh, a San Diego Chargers fan, so I was always in for those teams that would have these kind of rises above mediocrity and then long stretches of mediocrity or lower, but never win anything. And I was like, Oh, Everton, that really fits with my sort of, you know, mood as a sports fan. Yeah. Okay. Easy. Yeah. The, the late eighties were Everton's, they, they were the powerhouse. In England, right, yes. Yeah. Right. 86 till 89, 90. Something like that. Yeah. yeah I, think so. I was watching, I was watching Dan Fouts and the chargers. At that point, so, yeah. <laughs> well, also, I guess that's why the Spurs add on with like Casey Keller and Clint Dempsey. Mm-hmm. So that's kind yeah, of we've had, we had DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, we had a fairly right. Clint Dempsey, but quite a good mm-hmm. American contingent. We, we yeah. had, we had Kobe Jones in 1994. Kobe Jones, and that, yeah. yeah, and uh, uh, Roy Wegley was one we had as well. But I don't I'm, even remember him. No, he was he was a striker. Uh, 
like the hairiest football I think I've ever seen. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, when Spurs now have Alex Morgan, so you know we're going to be American. Right, absolutely. We are, we are the new America's team. Sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We're so, so funny how American uh, football or, or soccer fans are. It's just like, oh, you got an American on your team? We're in. Like, let's go. It's, it's when we get our most patriotic. And, and isn't Ted Lasso like? That whole thing was around Spurs originally, wasn't yeah, it? The it Jason Sudeikis thing. Uh, I so, love that show, by the way. That's the best of, show on TV of, right uh, now. I don't think we've got it over here yet, have we? I think it might be on Amazon oh. Prime, but I'm not, I'm oh, not okay. sure. Uh, but it's, it's, I don't know if you guys... I don't know if it'll be so... It'll be interesting to see what you guys think as like actual you know, EPL fans and like up close, but from, from, from a distance, it's just kind of a perfect show. Yeah. Well, it's funny, Stephen, we're talking about primetime games and we were up till whatever, 5.30 in the morning watching the Patriots yeah. game. So the Kimes family, uh, Isaac and, and their mum, uh, they're big Spurs fans. And we, uh, we spent the whole day on, on Sunday on our little kind of Twitter social media group. We did our Spurs chat and that kind of transcended into our Seahawk chat. We're kind of the most, unlike, Isaac found me on social media and couldn't believe that I was a Seahawk and Spurs fan. And I couldn't believe that he was a Spurs and Seahawk fan. So it was uh, it's amazing fantastic. how sports can form uh, these relationships yeah that's great that's, that's fantastic the, that's the basis of this pod Adam I mean you live really? 20 miles away from each other so we met in, yeah. in the lot we met in the lodge bar in Seattle that our Facebook group put us in touch with to say go there and the rest is uh, we've got rubbish podcast off the back of it so it's yeah. correct <laughs> <laughs> so I managed to get 120 Five, I think this is this so, week. Yeah, not, yeah not so. badly. Wow. Not too badly. Congratulations, guys. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for jumping on first and foremost. Um, so how 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 has twi- we spoke briefly off the air? You've had a pretty uh, in all of people's twenty twenty. Your twenty twenty has been more eventful and uh, <laughs> the most it's, in in most aspects as well. It's been very eventful. Um, I think like everybody else uh, affected by it, we've had our moments of uh, sheer insanity, uh, feeling locked up and all that. But we've been, we're lucky that we've been, me and my family have been generally healthy. Um, and yeah, we were talking before about, uh, we, we planned and executed a pandemic wedding in July, which was, um, man, I can't believe we did it, but we pulled it off and, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was great to have something to celebrate and we're, we're yeah. still, uh, we're really happy about it. Yeah, and obviously Portland's been at the centre of quite a lot over the. Obviously, se- Seattle was as well. With obviously the Capitol Hill, uh, yeah. I can't remember what, what was it. I can't remember what they had. The Chaz and the Chop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And obviously, yeah. Portland was for different reasons from different vantage points as well. Yeah. But I mean, what was that? Yeah. Like? You live in Portland. What was that like to kind of be? Well, see what was going on on the national stage, but actually see what was going yeah. on locally. It's been. I mean, and we're talking today too, just a few hours after the Breonna Taylor decision was announced in uh, in um, Kentucky, where uh, it doesn't feel like justice was served there at all. Um, but uh, the the protests here were something. Um, where I'm at in town, we really didn't feel the effects all that that much. Um, but where we were planning on getting married downtown, it was every night there were clashes, and it went on for you know more than. I think about four months really like every night there was stuff happening so it was pretty intense um it's been a pretty intense time and then yeah we had the wildfires here just a couple of weeks ago which were also in- it's been it's been a weird it's been a weird year guys <laughs> very strange very strange uh, and, and, and then you had joe rogan spouting nonsense and his massive platform as well didn't you two ten days ago 
I know I shouldn't pay attention to idiots, but I. <laughs> you, you clearly do because you're on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So obviously, we said you are the boss man, as Mike, our pal Michael Shaw and Dugar calls you of the Athletic Seattle. I mean, obviously, we're quite biased because it's probably the one of all the Athletics we read. Of is for me because my local team doesn't have one yet because we're not on that stage. I don't. But um, I mean, the team you assembled and have like Matt Pence is what is one of the best soccer writers in the country. You got Corey doing the Mariners, and obviously you got you got Jason, and then you got MSD who yeah. told him every time he comes on he's the best the best covering the team for our money. I think so. It must be a lot of fun watching them get to work over the last two or three years. Yeah, it's fun, and I um, I was actually actually able to bring on bring Mike onto the PI initially too. When we hired him, I think he was at uh, he was in Moscow, Idaho, reporting <laughs> on uh, the Idaho Vandals and and stuff like that. And we uh, he took a big jump coming to to the, to the Seahawks there. And he just, I mean, talk about taking with it, taking it, and running with it. You know, like the dude is fearless. He's so talented. Um, He's, he's, I mean, I think I probably was guilty of underestimating him at times because he's, he can do anything he wants. He can do anything. Um, and talk about like a rising star in this business. It's pretty, he makes me look great because people are like, oh, you're the guy who brought the mic onto the athletic. And it was like, yep, that's me. That's a, my calling card there. I nailed him. So, um, yeah, he, he's, I mean, he's the best. We, we, we have a good relationship. He's not allowed to call me boss man. Uh, but he does it just to get a rise out of me now. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, without, still a jerk, but <laughs> without kind of turning this into like a, an athletic advert, which you know maybe maybe we can. Yeah. Um, one of the Our bosses would love that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Obviously, the the platform thrives on the fact that it's writers kind of talking about what they want to talk about, and the lack of yeah. sport has obviously hindered a lot of people massively. But it's also allowed your guys a lot of chance to express themselves and what with the political. Um, standpoint, you know, we're talking about Breonna Taylor and, and everything and George Floyd, et cetera. And, you know, Mike has been as erudite as anyone uh, in writing yeah. about that. And, you know, I did see that there's a couple of articles where they say that, you know, you guys have to block the comments and whatever. And it, it, it's yeah. kind of indicative of the of the general kind of way in which the, the world's going. But it must be quite empowering. It's not the right word for you guys because you're kind of allowing them to do it. But it must feel quite liberating that you can let your guys express themselves with, with the the confidence that it's a safe place for them to do that it is it, it that's yeah that's a good way of putting it it is it's it's um i'm glad that our i mean and just to be completely transparent too when when the george floyd killing happened and we started to see this this renewed movement with the black lives matter movement our bosses were basically like go like do what you need to do with this and that's i mean i don't know how much how many other places give you the freedom <clears throat> to do that uh, I guess on the other hand, it's like we'd love to be able to just write about sports. <laughs> like, we would love it if we didn't have to write about racial inequality, if we didn't have to write about uh, police brutality, if we didn't have to write about all these different things that are happening in the country right now, but they are. And having a place um, like The Athletic that doesn't muzzle us, um, that doesn't tell us to stick to sports, uh, because you know we're all multifaceted people. We all have different backgrounds and stories and, and passions and, and being able to um, empower somebody like Mike just to say, go, like do do what you've got to do, find your angle, find your voice and, and express it. Um, yeah, it's been special. It's been good. Yeah. Uh, Adam? 
Well, yeah, I mean, obviously stick to sports doesn't actually mean stick to sports at all. It means stick to the opinion that I want you to give me up. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a kind of a, a 180 on that and not to try and conflate one with the other. But another thing yeah. that's been great is someone like Ben Baldwin, who yeah. <laughs> you, you guys have one as well. Uh, maybe it's more controversial than Mike at times, to be honest. But, um, you know. <laughs> Ask Packers fans about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the analytics thing, you know, it, it, for, for someone to put down on paper at length kind of what the analytics stuff actually means. And, you know, I don't yeah. necessarily think that I subscribe to all of it, but it's been a, an education watching people like Ben and reading their stuff. And again, you know, presumably at your old place, you don't have the space to give someone like Ben the platform to explain EPA and why he's good and why maybe he isn't. So, that again must be quite just a, a nice thing to kind of have in your locker that you've got such a you know diverse way in which you can write about the same subject. Absolutely, and I, I have to give my bosses some credit too because I knew Ben sort of uh, tangentially um, when I joined the Athletic, but they had already brought him on as a contributor, and I sort of was you know, stuck with him for better for worse. And it's been great because I every time Ben submits something, I learn something. Um, and, and being able to come at it from, I, I don't come at things mathematically. It's just not how my brain works, but to be able to sort of, um, begin to work some of that into the way that I think about sports and the way that I think about the game, the way that I evaluate players, the way that, you know, cause we all, we all do this, right. We all have opinions on players and, all, and having just additional layers of information is, uh, it's really helpful. And it's, I, I think it's great when it generates as much conversation as Ben's stuff does, um, it's 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 really fun to kind of wade in. I mean, those are the fun comment sections. Ben's comment sections are the fun ones because you go in, you see people who are who are not buying it at all. You see people who are buying everything he's saying, and then everybody in between. And it's uh, it's healthy. It's fun. Well, he's like the go-to account when a running back gets paid now. Like I've got to say, exactly. It's quite funny. Like uh, the amount of like CC at Ben Bolden you get from guys at NFL Media, Jeff Schwartz, Patrick Claybon. Like, uh-huh. He always seems to be the you know the the, the go-to guy. We, we're all we're always I mean we are very we've been lucky enough to get some really big sort of things that get picked up nationally but not since I've been at the athletic uh, uh, Jason Jenks and uh, did the board man gets paid with Kawhi yeah. Leonard and all of a sudden that was like a phenomenon you know and that was and it was everywhere and we're just like hey that's our story like they just got <laughs> picked up everywhere and then with his running backs don't matter stuff it's just it's another example of that and every time who is the latest contract is it Dalvin Cook yeah, uh, whoever it was. Hey. Yeah, yeah, and just like whoever comes through, it's just like, yep, I know, I know what Ben's timeline is going to be for the next uh, <laughs> twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Yeah. Also, I guess it helps that you've got a really subdued and quiet team that doesn't really do anything of note, or yeah. not a circus to cover as <laughs> well. And a sedate fan base to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Super sedate. Yeah, everybody's very chill up here. In <laughs> very, very chill. Uh, it's great. I mean, they always make things interesting, right? It's, it's, uh, whether or not you agree with the approach or not, they are, they're just, they're a proactive franchise. They're always trying. And I think that you have to respect that as a, as a fan. Um, and even as it's been this, I mean, I think this transition from like the Legion of Boom eras, which was, you know, when I covered the team was sort of that first Super Bowl season through about 2017. And so that, that was the Legion of Boom at, at the height of its powers, really, and seeing it kind of transition into, you know, this is Russell's team now. This is very much a, a different sort of uh, way that this team is oriented. It has been really fascinating, and it's it's uh, the moves that they make to sort of 
try and, and, and win this year, whether it was the clowny trade or Sheldon Richardson a few years ago or Jimmy Graham before that, like they're always, it's always something, it's always something and it makes it fun. Uh, I think, I mean, I can't imagine covering a, a, a team that was just sort of, I mean, like the Bengals for years, like how could you cover them for years and years and years when they're just not doing anything and they're trotting out Andy Dalton every for a decade and thinking that's going to be good. I, it's uh, It would be tough not to be, not just to be a fan, but to, to cover them. Yeah. Yeah. So what we spoke to Daniel Neal a few weeks ago about, obviously he was in that press conference room with you during that Legion of Boom years. What was that like from your vantage point? Obviously it's a, it's, it's the same stories, I guess, but what, what, what was your takeaway from dealing with people like Sherman and Earl and Pete and Doug and Marshawn and the rest of them? It was really fun. It was really fun. And, but you always did feel like you were, you were uh, scrutinized quite a bit because they were, you know, one of the biggest stories in, in the NFL at the time. And any time that Sherm said something or Doug Baldwin said something or they did a skit at their press conference or, you know, uh, whatever. It, it just seemed like it was sort of like the bright lights were on all the time. And I lost count of all the different national people who would cycle through because you just see, you know, they were one of the premier teams in the league and they were, um, there'd always be somebody in there checking out something for a national story. And um, yeah, ne- again, never boring, uh, occasionally infuriating. Uh, the, you know, Sherm, Sherm doesn't, we don't, we don't, uh, speak. <laughs> he's, he's got me blocked on Twitter. I think because I was, I was hard on him his last year in Seattle, and uh, that's fine. But uh, it was you know between him and Michael Bennett and Marshawn and I just like such incredible personalities. And, mm-hmm. and for me, for my first gig in the business, I mean, I can't, I couldn't have asked for anything more than to come into that that locker room with that the amount of talented guys and uh, and and guys who were willing to say stuff too. So it was it was great. You, you become like a almost like a secondary part of the iron sharpens iron thing because you're not going to be able to get away with just kind of coasting through a job like that. No, no, and you know the competition. It's funny because it's a very collaborative beat. Um, like a, a lot of us uh, would hang out with our friends and stuff like that. But you know when Bob Condota is on the beat, like you better be on your shit because Bob is going to be on every damn thing. And John Boyle and Tim Booth and you know Mike coming on and Jenks was on. You know it's just like it was a lot of uh, Greg Bell. There's a lot of really good reporters working there and and a lot of really good stories coming up. So yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. And we we had a, we had a good time. We'd occasionally drive each other nuts, but um, we had a good time. So uh, how did you come to be on the Seattle Bee? Obviously, obviously, you said you're a Chargers fan. You have a vested interest in Colorado collegiate sports as well. How did you get to... Colorado State. Yeah, go Rams. Uh, we'll talk about my guy, Michael Gallup, probably at some point Yeah, uh, here with the Cowboys. Um, yeah, so I went to... Uh, I went to... I did like a, like a late, I guess, early 30s career change where I decided I was going to give this thing a go and went to Syracuse for uh, for grad school and then... Uh, took an unpaid internship with the Seattle PI, uh, hoping that it might land uh, a job in the future, and it and and it did. Sure enough, um, and so I got brought on full time in 2013, um, the year they went to the Super Bowl and won it, and uh, it was it was great. I mean, it, I couldn't have asked for for a better spot to be, and they uh, they they empowered me to go in there and write what I wanted to write, and um, you know be at the facility every day and and kind of dig in. So. Um, eternally grateful because that was 
there was there is it was either that or I was going to go do social media in New York for some MMA site that I did not I don't like MMA and nothing about it <laughs> but it was the only other internship I could land so uh, I got I got very fortunate the when I first started following the Seahawks the PI was my go-to with uh, Claire, yeah. Claire Farnsworth was always my go-to Claire a legend first yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam yeah I mean you know, 2012, 2014, 15, obviously social media is massive, but I kind of feel it's maybe taken on even more of a, a life of its own since then. I wonder if that team and the way in which they were and the personalities, like, I'm not convinced you'll, you'll get to see a team like that express itself like that again, especially with kind of how monotone a lot of coaches are expected to be and kind of play it, you know, play it with a straight bat, as we would say, as, as a cricket analogy, whereas, you know, Carol empowered his guys to be like that and social media was big but not quite to the level of the minute by minute second by second scrutiny it must have just felt like yeah. a storm of a team to cover yeah i think that's that's accurate too and i think you're right in that it comes down to pete too like he's sort of the tone setter there um and yeah i'm trying to think of the guys coming up i you know i don't really see another pete carroll in that group i do see a lot of sort of uh uh, you know, guys who seem like players coach, like Sean McVay seems like a guy who his players love and, and, um, and, but he's more on the X's no side, you know, he's not sort of this like culture. I mean, I guess he is a, a bit, a bit about the culture, but he's not, you know, Pete is all about creating that competitive culture and letting guys sort of, uh, express themselves individually and then seeing how that fits. And sometimes it works out horribly. I mean, sometimes you bring in a guy who's just not a locker room fit, and there were several times with the Seahawks that that happened. Um, but for the most part, he's—I I don't know that they're—I don't know if he's a dying breed or not. But I can't think of a guy who approximates um, that kind of style right now. Uh, and yeah, it's—it's it's funny because I'm not even sure if it's like social media has gotten bigger, but I think the athletes have started using it. They started using it when they were in junior high now, right. Or like elementary school now. And so now they're coming up with it. They know either how to create their own persona, how to brand themselves. As soon as they come out, you know, a lot of these guys are, are, are getting with people who are like, Hey, if you, you can basically brand yourself um, using your Twitter and Instagram and make gobs of extra money outside of your contract by just doing a certain way. So there is an incentive to, uh, to keep things a little surfacey and maybe not go so, so as, as as deep into the personality sometimes. Um, so yeah, I think it was an interesting it was an interesting time because the emergence of social media was coming up just as these guys were kind of getting to the top. And it's like the city of Seattle was also, uh, you know, Amazon was flexing its muscles, and you started to see um, uh, all these different national storylines coming through Seattle with business and technology and stuff like that. And it all just sort of came together for like a very exciting chaotic uh crazy time it was a lot of fun yeah so uh we spoke over the last few weeks about the jolt jamal Adam, well for me in particular the jolt he gave my expectations for the season he also appears yeah. to give that like that aura of that 2012 2014 team that's aspect of the locker room kind of thing a jolt as well do you see that or yeah and he's not he's unlike He's not like any other Seahawk that I've seen too, though. He's, he's, um, I guess the, the closest is Sherm, um, as far as the sort of just exuberance with which he, which he played in the, the mm-hmm. flamboyance, but it even feels like Jamal Adams, there's, a, there's another level of sort of like, uh, intensity there. And it's, it's, um, 
and and his physicality certainly is a huge part of his game and and the way he translates that you know cam's physicality was was different because he was uh he he'd kill you but he'd do it really quietly <laughs> jamal adams is not gonna he'll kill you and then he'll tell you about it um <laughs> and i it's funny i i i'm not sure if he re yeah i think he has recalibrated my expectations for the season i'm very there's some some things about this year's team that i'm very uh down on but after seeing the kind of swagger that Adams plays with and just the kind of, I think it rubs off on people, you know, too. I think you get, you get these young guys who are looking at this total stud of a player who's, who's, who's running all over the field. It seems like he's in on every damn play. Um, and he's, he's just excited about it. And I think that can't help but rub off on these guys. And there's, there's sort of a, there's a feeling that, that I, I'm picking up with this team with him on it, that I didn't pick up on when he wasn't on it. Yeah, Adam. We, we said in our interview with, we had Cliff Averon a few weeks ago, and we said, like, you oh, know, yeah. you're, all, you're all ridiculously talented. So there's got to be something else that carries you. And it's not that the Adams thing strikes me as Emperor's New Clothes, but there is this idea that if you buy into the mystique that follow him and everything will be fine, that's kind of... Because there are clear flaws on this team. Yeah. They oh, yeah. can't rush the passer. They have... In my opinion, Stu and I had a bit of a disagreement about this with the, you know, in, in the back end of the secondary, but I don't like how the coverage looks in, in the back end at all. But it's kind of like, if you just believe what Jamal Adams, just, just buy what he's selling and everything's going to be fine. There's obviously something in that, you know, the top two inches of every player that if the, if the brain's there and you think you can do it, it it's got to help because they're all, you know, you, you're not going to separate out the talent too, too much. The combine, their, their numbers are all the same. So it's the extra right. intangibles. And he's obviously done a huge amount to, to that locker for the room for the belief in the intangibles on that. Yeah. And I think that was a real question for me too, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't watch a lot of Jets football over the last couple of years um, by choice. Like I did, just did not want to subject myself to that. I don't think Jets fans did either to be quite honest. Yeah, exactly. The poor Jets fans. Um, but uh so I didn't know. And then the way that things ended there, you didn't know, is this guy, is there like a prima donna factor there? You know, he, he, he basically did force his way out of town and you wonder sort of like, well, okay, how does that work itself out? And, and for the most part, I mean, for, for in the short term, it looks like he is that guy who just with his intensity, with his attitude can, can uh, impact the level of play for everybody around him. So, uh, I mean, it looks, he looks like a true difference maker because of that uh, in a way that I don't, I can't remember the last player who came in who I felt like, like this was like a difference maker in the same way. Clowney was never that Clowney was, is, was all world talent, but he was just kind of one of the guys, you know, and uh, Jimmy Graham was the same way. He was got all world talent, but he was sort of off by himself. And um, this is a guy who you bring in and he's all world talent and he's also the guy who brings the juice. Like he's he's just gonna do that. It's, it's in him. So uh, I'm really interested to see what they do around him because that the pa- the lack of a pass rush to me is a potentially fatal flaw for this team. Um, and I don't care how good you are in the back end. I know there's a debate between secondary and defensive line and which of those really impacts pass coverage. But if your if your defensive line isn't just below, if it, if it sucks, if it's if it's really really bad. I mean, that is a, you're just making things so much harder on your guys in the back end. And I love, I love Bobby and KJ, but those guys are, you know, they're, they're not young anymore and they're not going to be, they're not going to play at the same speed they have before. And that's only going to get worse um, from here on out because that's just, you know, time is undefeated. It's going to happen. And um, 
it's it's going to be really interesting to see what they do specifically this year because I think in a lot of ways this roster looks ready to contend now and um, uh, that that lack of a pass rush seems to me to be a real real issue. Yeah, and it doesn't help with Bruce Irvin uh, out for the year no. as, as well. But, Bruce, but yeah, but also with Jamal and his whole persona and how he is I guess that's even more important when there's no fans in the stands for the foreseeable right. as well because obviously there's no one there on Central Link Field but their reaction to that final play it was almost you could almost feel 67,000 people going mad along with it which was really well, they, were, they were bouncing on the sideline just before yeah. and I yeah. really um, I don't know it wasn't emotional but it, it kind of it, it struck me because it was such a it was nice to even do that almost unpro- like we need to, to rally our own guys. Mm. We haven't got we yeah. doing so we, I, I thought it was a really nice moment to see that happen actually. Yeah. Yeah, well you guys have been to you guys have been to games at CenturyLink yeah. and you, you yeah. know sort of what happens when the fans get into it there. And it really it, I mean uh I think sometimes the the, the sort of twelve twelveishness of the team can sort of get uh talked up a little bit too much, but there is certainly something to be said for that atmosphere when it gets going it, it creates this energy that the players feed off of and yeah maybe a guy like Jamal Adams when when you don't have that is even more crucial now uh because he's he is that kind of um he injects that bit of energy that bit of juice to to a, a, a situation that might not otherwise feel it yeah this we were there for the Bills Monday night of four years ago and I've never been you know, Stadium, or it was um, like they had the fighter jets come over for military week. Yeah, well. it's it's hard to explain incredible. unless you've been there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've also been there for two losses as well, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> this is a bit different. Uh, obviously, the main one of the main guys from the first couple of weeks of the season uh, for Seattle has been the guy who's thrown nine touchdowns and just eleven incompletions, which is wild. I mean, it, it, with with about four years running out of things to say about the quarterback, but this is a different level, a different level, isn't it? I, I think so. I think I, I think I tweeted last week, this is the best I've ever seen him. Um, and it's like, he's always been good. <laughs> so that's saying something, right? Like he's never, it, it, he's just, he's so accurate right now. And it seems like his understanding of where his guys are going to be um, <clears throat> versus where their guys are going to be is, has never been better. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, and and the thing that he's doing now, like even that first play, was it the first play uh, last week where they were in man coverage and he just did like a little 11-yard run, a mm-hmm. uh, little 11-yard scramble, and just like it lets them know the whole game, like, hey, you can't do that, by the way. Like, you're, <laughs> I'm going to kill you if you guys do that. Like, I'm, re- I'm going to, you know, run down the field on you. And and then the way that he is, I mean, his deep ball continues to be incredible. incredible. And I, I don't know why I ever expected to drop incomplete, but when he threw that little rainbow – to Chris Carson, I thought it was going to be out of the end zone by about five yards. And, you know, it just came right from his cradle in his hands, and uh, he's he's awesome. I mean, he's he's never played better. Um, I'm really encouraged by. I thought Brian Schottenheimer's Week One game script was damn near perfect. Uh, and, like he was, um, he was so on top of of like even like even the plays where they had to overcome penalties and they had to overcome setbacks and uh it would just seem so easy and i mean if, god i know the Atlanta's defense isn't isn't anything to write home about but that's an nfl defense they were just picking yeah. apart and yeah. um i mean we'll we'll see as this year goes on but it does seem at least through two weeks like there is a, a subtle shift 
in in philosophy and and that's all anybody was asking for it's funny people think that this whole like let's let Russ cook meant that you wanted him to throw it you know 50 times a game and it's that's not it you know it was, it was let's let's change when he's throwing the ball let's yeah. let's throw to get ahead and then let's run late let's not run early and then throw to win the game in the fourth quarter you yeah. know uh, and, and to see sort of them throwing in early down situations when they're taking advantage of of uh of you know eight man boxes and stuff like that especially in week one when uh the falcon just seemed like they had no idea what was coming it's been i I don't know if it's going to continue but it's been impressive yeah i I think one of the biggest positives from it's weird to say but all the chaos but from sundays a couple of times where they were first and 15 first and 20 first and 25 first and 25 and they didn't even see third down like they're not right last last year that's third and 23 and the two-yard run for travis homer so this, this I was going to say there. I think there was, yeah, there was one drive where they 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 handed they gave they, they did a draw to Travis Homer. I think at third mm. twelve or something like that, and it stood out so starkly this time. Yeah. Whereas like in years <laughs> past, there would have been four of those in the game. So it's like <laughs> they, they, that's that's progress, I guess. Yeah, uh, Adam. Like there there have been times in last year, especially where like you're in second and more than eight, and you almost just kind of look down at your phone for the rest of the drive because you're not really expecting right. anything apart from Michael Dixon trotting out in 45 seconds time. Right. It's, it's funny right. about the deep ball because I was just thinking like, obviously we generally watch on TV and you can't see the field, but in general you're waiting for the crowd noise is going to be your biggest indicator yes. for the yeah. where a guy's going to be. And now there's no crowd noise, obviously, apart from the strange piped in stuff, but the, yeah. the passes to DK and David Moore and Carson especially, I had no indicator where it was going to go, but I just felt almost like a zen that it was only going into <laughs> our guys' hands. And the biggest yeah. thing was when Tyler Lockett didn't catch that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, that just the the way in which he's playing is just on, on another level. I think that's – I, I could – be just watching in silence and I know that the ball's going to find one of our guys when I see it in the air because I've just got that faith in him hopefully on a rainy day on su- on Sunday that that doesn't isn't impacted too much yeah yeah I don't think I've seen him throw a bad pass this year which is you know wild through two games and I mean it's not like he's a guy who's who's terribly inaccurate ever really I mean he, he goes through stretches where he'll have sort of you know there's there's stretches there's been late game or late season stretches where because of the offensive line issues, he'll get kind of that happy feet thing. And um, there are times where maybe he'll hold onto the ball a little bit too long um, and try to make something happen when there's nothing there. This year, it's just been so crisp. And that, you know, that line's not, that line's not great. It's there's nothing to write home about, I, I don't think. Um, but there's something about his rhythm and, and his, I mean, it might just be the fact that his weapons are better. Like D, I mean, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I, I mean, I love Doug Baldwin. He's one of the best uh, best players I've ever watched in person, too. But they've never had I – mean, if Lockett sort of approximates what he does in, in short space and quickness, they've never had a guy like DK um, who is just this physical monster. He's, he's exactly what Pete Carroll wanted Mike Williams to be back in the day, this just like physical mismatch who um, – who commands just attention because of his, his stature and strength and you can't, can't get around him. So to have those two complement each other and then you throw in the tight ends a little bit, David Moore, I think has played actually really well this year. I, I was not anticipating him playing as, as well as he has. Um, it's, it's been a good group of, Oh, and Chris Carson out of the backfield, like his, you know, has been, has been awesome. That catch in the end zone 
was not uh, it was not like a running back catch. It was something that he had to do in stride with his hands in yeah. front of him over his shoulder. Like that was a legit. He made it look uh, a lot kind of. Than it was. He made it look really easy, really, really easy. It's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, DK just yeah. I think I agree. I don't think I've ever seen a Seattle player who could literally be whatever as good as he wanted to be, and there's literally no apparent. Yeah on horizon season for that he's just I mean I was completely wrong yeah completely wrong I I had Kevin Kevin. Norwood so high but also but but also Steve Adam is the uh, the sole founder and chair of the David Moore in the Hall of Fame uh, committee as well oh okay that's you I I called it after the Lions game uh, (laughs) I just decided to stick with it because uh, that's awesome Amara Garbo didn't make the cut though no not quite he's he's on my like uh what are they called? The, the alternates, alternate Hall of Fame. Okay, got it. Yeah, Amara Darbo literally didn't make the cut, I guess. No. <laughs> so <laughs> Sunday, as two and zero Seahawks are still at home against Dallas Cowboys, who um, mean Atlanta. Uh, there's a one. One of my friends is a Falcons fan, and he's a West Bromwich Albion fan. So on Sunday he had a day. Um, they lost five one, and then they didn't. They couldn't figure out how to. Um, or five two, uh, couldn't figure out how to uh, field a onside kick. But the Cowboys are, yeah. I mean, it's the third week and it's a third different proposition for the Seahawks team to go against on both sides. I'll show you a couple of injuries on their secondary with the Wouzier and uh, uh, is it Diggs, the rookie from Alabama, as well as all popped up on the injury yeah. report today. But that offense, Dak, Zeke, and his three legitimate deep ball home run. Can, that we could, they're going to hurt you if you if you let them. Why we see this? This is a tough challenge after a tough challenge six a week earlier. Totally, and such a different kind of challenge too. Um, with Belichick, you're you're expecting that a defensive game plan that's going to change things up and that's going to show you different looks and uh, try to take away what you do best. And it, they didn't really. I mean, it was it was amazing how well they attacked that New England defense that secondary. Mm-hmm. And the way that DK just took care of Stefan Gilmore was uh, incredible. Um, this is going to be like take the over on the Cowboys. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of points, I think. Um, I I think I like Dak Prescott more than certain other people do. I, I, I really do think that he – like you can win a Super Bowl if Dak Prescott is your quarterback. I think that that's – I think he's good. I think he's really good. Yeah. Um, I think when Jason Garrett's your head coach, like that caps your um, <laughs> potential. And like now Jason Garrett's not his head coach. I think Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator. I think he'll, uh, he'll spread the Seahawks out. You'll see a lot of these three and four wide sets, I think. And they'll try to get guys like um, Ugo Amadi and Trey Flowers on the field and see what – I'm sure that they like their chances – with C.D. Lamb against Ugo Amadi or Michael Gallup on the outside against somebody like Flowers if they go, you know, four wide or whatever. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a high-scoring game. But, I mean, if, if we're taking, if we're thinking it's going to be a high-scoring game, like, who would you take other than Russell Wilson right now? I'm not sure that I, I would take anybody in the league over him. So, uh I, I don't know. It's going to come down to, you know, turnovers and stops at the right times and stuff like that. And um, I don't, I, I don't like Seattle's defense against the, the Cowboys offense. I, I really don't. I think that 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they came out throwing quite a bit and then tried to kind of establish Zeke late in the game. Um, and uh, that could not, that could be an interesting um, adjustment for the Seahawks. You know, having Quandre Diggs back would be really big. I think that they really missed him against the Patriots. Um, and, but I, I really do think, that, you know, the Marquise Blair injury is, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I don't think anybody was talked up more in camp than Marquise Blair. And I don't know that he showed it through the first kind of game and a half a quarter or whatever, or five quarters that he was in there. Um, he had he has moments and uh, the crashing down on that fourth down play in week one to, to cause a fumble was, yeah. um, was a big play. You generally don't see a nickel back making, but um, they're really going to be their Their depth in the secondary is really going to be tested and we'll see sort of, I mean, we'll see if Trey Flowers has made a leap from year two to three. We'll see if Ugo Amadi is a legit NFL player. Like we're going to find out some stuff. Um, I think we'll probably see a lot more Jordan Brooks too rotating in. Because um, I imagine that they'll they'll use him uh, in in place of KJ, right? Like they have been doing for for part of the season already here. So if they had a pass rush, I feel a lot better about it. But they, re- I mean, I think they had four or five hurries on Cam Newton all game long, yeah. and that Dallas offensive line isn't the same offensive lines it's been in years past. But um, they're fine, you know, they're they're fine, and unless they can get some pressure. You know, maybe they bring Jamal Adams. Maybe we see him rushing the quarterback a little bit more than we have the first couple of weeks, and and they try and create some chaos there. But I think if they can't get to Dak, it's just going to be a shootout, and whoever whoever has the ball last has the best chance to win. Yeah, well, but saying that though, the, the first play of the Patriots game, they sent Shaq Griffin on a safety blitz. I think. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, just trying to mix it up. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest blitz you've ever seen in your life, but I, I guess no. I, maybe the thought is if the defensive line can kind of open a couple of holes almost like an offensive line for a running back if they can open a hole for Wagner or right. you know, Brooks had 22 tackles for loss last year I think in college so you know if yeah. or Adams or Wagner can get home I guess that's maybe the best we can hope for but then conversely whatever the Cowboys pedestrian podcast you know equivalent is they're probably worried about you know is Alden Smith the best we've got to create pressure on Russell Wilson so it's not it's right. not all yeah because I mean, yeah, their defense uh, sorry Steve no go ahead I was just to say, you know, the Cowboys' defense put up, give up a lot of points to a Falcons' offense where Julio Jones was bystander for most of the year, three catches for twenty-eight yards or something. So yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not all, it's all sweetness and light what coming into town, is it? Yeah, no, it's and it's it's uh, it's funny because you know that that Falcons' offense kind of you know lit up the Seahawks in Week One too, and we. I, I really do think that there's something to be said for like when you're up big, there's there's this kind of unconscious letting up. There's this unconscious sort of you're going to give up yardage, you're going to give up points or whatever. And if the game's not really in in jeopardy, it's just not the same sort of uh, urgency or whatever. But um, yeah, this will be interesting. This will be interesting because um, that Dallas defense. If you look at like the you know the two deep coming into the season, you're like, wow, this. I mean, this is Everson Griffin and all Alden Smith and the uh, you know Gerald McCoy was in there and uh, Leighton Vandresh and Jaden uh, uh, who's the other linebacker um, Jaden Smith Jaden Smith thank you yeah and the, the guy you know even some of the guys in the, like, it looks like a really good unit and they have been hurt they I mean Gerald McCoy getting cut in camp Leighton Vandresh being out 
uh, Everson Griffin not looking great so far as a free agent signing that all of Seahawks nation was super upset about too. Um, they're not playing up to their sort of expectations yet. And, and they're, they're hurt. They're really, really hurt. So I don't, I mean, I don't like, I don't love their chances of slowing down Russell uh, in, no. in this week. I don't. No, I mean, what, what's, what's it been? 35, 38. I would not be surprised yeah. if we yeah, got more right. on Sunday. But also another another thing, obviously, with what happened in uh, Vegas on Monday night, this is a big game when it comes to the end of December in like the, the shake-up in a couple of months. I know it's only week three and maybe a bit premature, but a win here will count for something when Christmas rolls around. Well, and it's funny too, because I mean, who knows how this year is going to shake out with the injuries. I, I do yeah. think that it's probably the most unpredictable season uh, in a long time because of uh, shortened training camp and then guys not being able to adjust to the season like they normally would. And who knows how that plays out in the long run? I think it's going to be a real, a real crapshoot, but um, yeah, I mean, some of the, some of the teams that really looked like they were going to be NFC contenders have looked flat i mean new orleans even in week one they looked like didn't look right and like michael thomas is not being there is is uh has really hurt them and drew Brees is looking pretty old and uh san francisco i mean my god like what a, <laughs> what a terrible week for them <laughs> but like nick bosa i mean they were they you know they they shipped off to forrest buckner who's a top I don't know, 10 defensive linemen in this league because they felt so strong. And then they lose Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas on like back-to-back plays. So all of a sudden that team that was really built along its defensive front is hurting there. Um, and who knows how long Garoppolo's injury, Garoppolo's injury doesn't bother me as much because I, I think Kyle Shanahan can scheme up basically any quarterback to stay competitive, but um, their skill position guys are, are banged up too. Kittle obviously being out is enormous. So some of these teams that look like they were really going to be contenders have, have taken some dings early. And, you know, we'll see if, if Green Bay and the Rams and stuff like those, if they, if they hang around and really prove to be contenders this year too. But I think for the Seahawks, yeah, banking a win like this would be, I mean, it'd be big. 3-0 and would be huge for them. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, coming from your alma mater, Marco Gallup. It, it's, yes. Also, we don't really have that over here. I mean, I, I have one... Premier League footballer who went to my high school, and that so I kind of like follow him because he played for my my local team as well. But it, it, what, right. what's that like when you go to school with someone who is doing the things he he does mo- on most Sundays? Is that do, well? Is it a thing I that you follow through his career? Oh yeah, I am much older than Michael Gallup, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. we never we never went to school together. But uh, I I do watch Colorado State football religiously. I'm I'm the one. <laughs> and uh, whenever we have a guy who shows pro promise and then gets gets drafted, uh, it's I mean it's really fun. A lot, a lot of these guys, Colorado State's one of those teams. They're not recruiting five and four star guys generally. They're getting guys who have slipped through the cracks for whatever reason. Uh, and Michael Gallup was a junior college transfer guy who I think was originally going to go to Kansas State and didn't qualify went to junior college and then came and just shows up and now on campus and is this chiseled six foot two 200 pound guy who can run like a deer and you're just like who the hell is that guy and he dominates called he dominated competition for for two years at csu and it was really fun to watch him um seems like a great kid too but just to watch him sort of blossom and then he's either second second or third round pick um i think i think yeah i think maybe that's right but they've had they've had csu's got 
I think, three receivers in the NFL right now. Three or four guys who are playing consistently in the NFL at the receiver position, and they've got one more coming. Um, and I, anytime there's a CSU guy uh, who I watched over the years, I definitely track his career yeah. and, and wish him well. It's just it's fun being able to watch them go from you know sometimes unheralded 18 year olds to then you see them you know playing on Sundays. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. On the the subject of college football, I saw you have a brief. I wasn't sure if it was a conversation or just a response to. Brock Hewitt, who was uh, asking about whether <laughs> high school guys should be playing. And uh, I think yeah. saying that your wife is uh, works in the health services. And, you know, she does, yeah. If, uh, testing, and, you know, same over here. You can barely get a, uh, a public test for love. Uh, Premier League teams, NFL teams are probably going through hundreds and hundreds of tests a day. Now, we're all human and we all love watching sport and there we're all having, you know, an element of selfishness to us and we're very happy to have our teams on our screen so let's not you know pretend that you know whatever but it, uh, where are you on kind of the sliding scale of happy to to see sport back versus you know what what these guys are taking up albeit their tests are private and being mm. paid for separately it's something i'm really wrestling with uh and something that i had been wrestling with sort of throughout the summer and uh i was one of the people who was convinced that we weren't going to see seasons we were not going to see an nfl season on time that we wouldn't see any any college football i just thought it was sort of a foregone conclusion and then as things unfolded throughout the summer and you could just feel the country getting uh just sort of deciding they wanted the pandemic to be over and they were going to pretend like it was over um it, it it felt very strange and still feels very strange and it's it is you know, it's 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 a little bit makes me queasy seeing sort of the amount of resources that we're putting into some of this stuff when, you know, when when people at the hospital can't get tested even if they're exposed um, uh, and can't get these rapid tests like uh, like they can for the leagues and stuff like that. So uh, it's I mean it's tough. I there's there's you know, and then again I was talking to somebody yesterday and who was who was not a huge sports fan and they were just saying like. I will tell you though, like turning on the TV on Sunday and just hearing those familiar sounds and kind of see the cadence they're going, it, it brought a lot of comfort. And I know for so many people, sports is a huge outlet for them and it's a huge part of their lives. And I don't want to be trivial about saying, you know, like we absolutely shouldn't do this or should do that. But, but the fact is, is that we're just, we, we as a country really bungle our response to, to this and, um, we're still feeling the the effects of it and there's there's sort of consequences that happen when that when when that goes down it's it's really uncomfortable and you're seeing even today you're seeing more you know college games being uh canceled this weekend because teams are having positive tests and stuff like that and you know when you think about that and you think about the you know 19 year old player who's likely going to be just fine coming out of this or whatever that's one thing but um you know there there are still people dying every day here in this country because of this pandemic and it's it's not over and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better with this winter coming and uh yeah so it's definitely something I'm, I'm i'm wrestling with and and i'm very happy to have my job i'm very happy to turn on the the television have football to watch but i i would be lying if i said it wasn't sort of in the back of my head too yeah i mean i i, I went to watch my local soccer team because I, I worked with games last friday and it was yeah. the smallest smallest slice of just a bit of normal routine I mean yeah. unfortunately we don't play in my city which is another conversation but the whole just just sitting there and watching 11 blokes in sky blue try and kick a football around or try and get hold of the football to kick around 
it was just like it was it was nice in a very very slight and small measure of like the grand scheme of things i guess adam i think psychologically it's meant a lot to a lot of people yeah. and I, I i don't want to discount that but the, yeah there there's certainly kind of consequences on the other side too yeah yeah uh also another thing which has been a bit of a conversation in the last 10 days we talked about it on our last pod and it's uh to do with that prescott the mental health conversation is something which is mm. probably even more prominent now with obviously people being in some some forms of solitude for the last six months sure. for different reasons and obviously social things have altered massively over the last six months but that whole conversation someone like that as we said last week being as open as he was no matter what the reaction from certain quarters was, is a is a is a big deal amongst everything which Dak Prescott is standing for. I guess because he's a black quarterback in the NFL, he was probably top five in MVP votes last year. Uh, well, for my me, I think he was, and he he's a part of that movement for lack of a better term. And now he's also put his name and put his put his his name weight behind the mental health. Uh, awareness push as well, isn't he? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's really important um, when a guy like that. I because I think you know so much of of the conversation around mental health in in this country, and I'm, I'm sure in the UK too. Yeah. There is this. It's 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 around uh, a feeling of like weakness. So there's something, and it's like Dak Prescott is not a weak guy. Like this is a guy who is a, a self-made quarterback in the NFL who's as tough as they come. Um, and to hear him just be honest and share his struggles and stuff, it, it just does a lot. It, it, it hopefully tar- starts to take this stigma um, a- away from, from these issues that are affecting millions, but that affect me. You know, I, I we had my own struggles, especially during the pandemic and, and, and with ups and downs. And, uh, you know, to, to have somebody in such a prominent position be willing to put themselves out there, it's big and it's, I don't, you know, we won't see the impact probably now, but we'll see it in future pros and future um, athletes and high school kids and whatever, Every, you know, anybody who, who is in sort of his sphere of influence, who now feels a tiny bit more empowered to, to come out and, and, and talk about their own struggles. It really is. It was commendable. I was really happy that he did that despite the bonehead reaction from the Skip Bayless. In this yeah. But like, a couple years ago when the Seahawks came over, we did uh, loads of charity work. We raised, about three thousand pound or dollars for the Helinski Hope Foundation, obviously, which is set up after Helinski yeah. killed himself, the Washington State quarterback, and I, I'm still in communication with that family, and that that family is connecting up with Hayden Hurst, who had a really cool sound effect with that yes. on Sunday as yeah. well. So it is kind of cool seeing them all like combine and push forward, and I think the Helinskis are. Uh, pushing forward a, a three day on all college campuses and most of the college teams in that neck of the woods in South Carolina's backyard have all jumped on so it is the, the conversation is happening as it is yeah. with a lot of things it just needs to continue to happen and Dak being Dak last week is a big deal isn't it Adam yeah yeah we've, yeah. we've got a nice bit of positive feedback from you know the chat we had about that mental health thing in, in a way it's so nice that in a way that we can just talk about it and not even think twice about bringing it up and have a 10 right. yeah. I mean, if anything it's you know baby steps but that is a significant step because it's not something that on a you know we happen to be a guy let run podcast but you know on those sorts of things it wouldn't it wouldn't even been thought about a few years time even on no. radio shows to come up and, and now it's it's something yeah. that you 
you won't go probably more than a week on sports radio without hearing it five or six times. And, you know, if anything, that, that, that can only be a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Adam, prediction, one person you want to kind of key on, in on to? Good one. So I'm going to go 32-28 Seattle. Um, and I, who, I don't really, I mean, we've discussed the people. I think Will Disley's going to score a touchdown. I got David Moore last <laughs> week. Will Disley this week will have, I want to say two touchdowns, but that, that might just Ooh. be crazy. Bro, but, you know, it's 11.30. I can't get too excited this time of night. Um, <laughs> let's go with one touchdown, Will Disley, and over 60 yards receiving. Okay. I mean, you have to put that in a request to bet somewhere on online forums. 44-27 Seahawks, I'm going for. Nice, look at that. Sunday. Um, I I think... I think Carlos Hyde will get a teeter on Sunday. I I think he... I was talking to one of my friends who's a Rams fan. He said the biggest difference through two weeks is that they're not relying on Todd Gurley, and that's a massive... Positive because they've got like I mean Aker's got injured last week, but they've got Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson. That rotation is helping. And I think we said that talking about the Patriots game, Adam. That is helping Carson, but it also helps that Carlos Hyde is a pretty good NFL, a pretty good NFL running back. So yeah, I think Carlos Hyde will uh, find the end zone on Sunday, and it's 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 going to be a wild few hours, I think, on Sunday. Steve, uh, prediction and someone that you would want to see something from. Um, let me say, I know I said it was going to be a points fest, so let me say, yeah, 38-28 nice. uh, Seahawks. Yeah. And I'll say Tyler Lockett gets in the end zone. Nice. Cool. 38 points. He'd be pissed off if he doesn't, I would have thought. Seriously. <laughs> cool. Uh, so a quick spin in the bin, Adam? Let's do it. Uh, so Steve this is where we just put one thing person who's been a bit of a an ass over the last seven days last week uh, Skip Bayless careered back into uh, it after all the stuff so I, and, did, uh, I did tell Mike Dugar to prep you on this so I hope he's uh, <laughs> he did not prep me on this but uh, I, there, we have no shortage of those guys so yeah uh, I, I'll, I'll kick it off um, I go with. yeah Jason Whitlock I knew it I knew it get in the absolute bin so over the 125 episodes there's one person well there's three people I want on this pod I want on this podcast more anyone Pete Carroll Russell Wilson and Katie Nolan Katie Nolan is one of the best funniest concise just one of the best voices in sports media and Jason Whitlock was it 48 hours ago whatever it's just he's garbage anyway but that is the garbage take of all garbage takes because Katie Nolan is she's reached levels he could only wish to reach and she's done it and like without much of the clear pathway being set out in front of her she's she's one of the best people yeah to just follow to watch and everything else and I think it's just absolute garbage Adam couldn't agree more you're you're more uh, in tune with that stuff than I am but I was reading quite a lot about it this morning because I knew you were going to put him in <laughs> I wanted to be uh, prepped on it and uh, I mean look I, we've said this a few times there's just way too many people to get paid to talk about sports in America. And as a result, it leads to way too many takes that feel that they need to be. Sorry, I know I'm talking about your country here. I'm looking look from, from the outside. Oh, hey. They're just Go a bit, way too many people that are paid to offer an opinion. And as a result, you need too many opinions. And as a result, a lot of them are shite. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what struck me with this one. Adam? Uh, my one is 
anyone involved in the New York Jets that has just allowed Adam Gase just to keep going and plunder that team further and further. And, you know, I'm not saying that race was necessarily a decision in this, but Eric Bieniemy was so highly talked about after the Super Bowl last year. And I just, you know, I don't necessarily want to take it this way, but let's say that if he wasn't, if he was a white guy, I just can't believe there wouldn't have been slightly more clamoring for him to get a role in that position. And it just seemed like such an obvious fit. Adam Gase was never going to be the right head coach. And it's okay to give a guy a year and realize you've made a mistake and fire them. Like if anything, a good sports owner did that. I mean, the Cardinals did that in a way with, uh, with Josh Rosen, you know, they gave a guy a job and it clearly wasn't working. And so they got Kyler Murray, who's now going to be maybe the MVP this year. And, you know, Adam Gates was clearly not going to be the guy for the job. And, you know, it's not that difficult to turn an NFL franchise around if you're managed well. Like loads of teams can do it. But to be as consistently bad as they've been for such a long time and to be getting worse, it's it's like a dereliction of duty on their part. And I think yeah. for, for the enemy to have not been given that job or anyone, um, you know, two separate points. I, I just think it, it, it's it's insane. I do feel sorry for those Jets fans because it's kind of a, a bit of a spursiness about the Jets that I kind of feel. <laughs> so I always look out for them as a, as a you know br- brothers in pain. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, Michael Sean Dugar for not telling me about this segment. Correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, 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 here's here's a real one. How about the uh, the Chargers team doctor? Oh. Who, um, punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung while giving him a painkilling injection for that for that broken rib before the Chiefs. I thought Justin Herbert was great, and that was a great debut for him and, and uh, the 14 Los Angeles Chargers fans that remain, I'm sure, super excited <laughs> about it. But, uh, I, I mean, it's just such a Chargers story, too, for yeah. that to happen. It's uh, it's they, they find new and interesting ways of making you sort of horrified. So that's, that's who I'll go with. Where, where do you sit with them now? They're banished from your from your heart yeah dead to me yeah 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 i've got i've got i've got no remaining loyalties whatsoever did you grow up in san diego to have that because was like, born there okay because for us if the seahawks left seattle there's no way i would support them but if anything i don't really have any justification with that you know i don't have you know much of a match day. i've been to seven games i don't have much like a match day routine but presumably the right. growing up in san diego were part of your just life yep Yep, that's definitely it. And I, I moved away when I was little, but always retained. They were my they were my tie to back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when you know, the Spanos family and this whole uh, stadium debacle over, it took a, basically a decade of them holding the team for a ransom from the, the city to make sure that they could, you know, get as much money as they could before you know, packing up and leaving. Uh, can't. Can't do it anymore. I still have some family members who who root for them, and and I, you know that's that's great, and I'm I'm glad that they do, but I can't do it. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 something that hasn't happened that often ever. I mean, obviously Milton Keynes, Wimbledon's probably the biggest example. My football team plays 22 miles away, but we've still got the name. That doesn't really happen ever, does it? Other that franchise. Well, it's not a franchise. No, uh, yeah, a bit more of a community aspect. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah but, yeah. So, yeah, but so yeah, but the franchises have that community aspect as well, as we see with like sure, sure. right. Yeah, I think the Chargers were the the longest tenured uh, North American team to ever relocate. I think fifty five oh. straight years in, uh, in in San Diego before going. So wild. Yeah. Uh, any other NFL stuff catch your attention, Adam? I mean, it was 
Ansi Ling could have gone in the bin in his own right if he would have <laughs> a job back, uh, which was just seemed like a really crazy thing to do, especially with Herbert. You know, you, you'd kind of want to build the guy up, but to suggest that he might lose his job, that seemed quite strange. But it's been great to see you know, guys like him and Burrow come into it, and you just wonder how long Miami are going to wait until uh, Tua, num- not number two for some reason, uh, steps, into, steps into the frame. Why is he not number two? That shouldn't even been allowed. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I think I, I just think. I mean, I, that game was a hell of a lot of fun. Patrick Mahomes had that ridiculously uh, long, effortless throw to uh, yeah. Tyreek Hill, and then everyone fawned about that for ninety minutes. And then uh, uh, Russell Wilson did it five times on Sunday Night Football, so it's kind of quickly yeah. forgotten. Um, yeah, I just think like. The NFC West is just annoying at this point. I mean, Nook Hopkins has about 4,000 catches through two weeks. Kyler Murray is Ooh. Deion Sander prime time prancing his way into the uh, end zone on a rush, which a quarterback should not be doing that 20 hours out from the end zone. It's just, it's just unfair. I mean, we talked, we, I messaged you on Sunday, Adam, about what Brady's dealt with in the AFC East and what we've dealt, what Russell Wilson's dealt with in six years eight years and yeah, you know, it's just it's unbelievable Kyler Murray is yeah. ridiculous fun to watch uh, Adam yeah well, obviously look, Stephen we feel like we kept you for more than long enough but obviously this was you know some kind of job interview on our behalf so do you think there's space for you know a completely underqualified guys talking about someone they've got no real idea on the athletic in the in the podcast sector you know do you think maybe the pedestrian podcast could be the latest big money swoop for the athletic I think <laughs> it was a match made in heaven I mean, I'll take it, you know, run up the chain. We'll, we'll see. We have a, we, we love our UK presence right now. And so maybe there's expansion opportunities there. I've, well, but that's, that's more than I get for most job interviews. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, obviously you sent Mike, Mike come over two years ago for the game and we um, got yeah. him uh, uh, clobbered out in Halinski stuff and, uh, Fed him with a lot of alcohol over those four or five days. That's what I hear. Yeah, on the first day. Have you ever been over here to the UK? I have. Yeah, I have. I, I came uh, my senior trip in uh, 1999, I guess, as part of my senior senior high school uh, year. I went over for about two weeks. Um, we started up in Edinburgh and ended up in London and saw a bunch of places in between. And I just, yeah, I loved it. My mom's side of the family comes from Scotland, so we really enjoyed going back there and, and trying to find our uh, our family tartan. Uh, and I could not, but it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll find it sometime. Well, next cool. time the Hawks have a game, you have to pull an editorial rank over Mike and say, sorry, there's stuff that needs to be done from uh, yeah. you know, grassroots situations. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Seems fair. Seems fair. Cool. Uh, yeah, is that, I think that's everything, Adam. Where can people find you, Stephen? Oh, uh, if they want to, they can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, uh, S. Cohen, S-E-A, uh, so kind of the beginning of Seattle there. And, uh, I mean, if you follow, if you're, if you're an athletic subscriber, we love having you. And if you're not, give us a, give us a shot, and, um, especially Seahawks fans, right? You know, Mike's stuff is, um, I think, gives everybody a really unique look into that locker room, too, into the personalities there. He really has a great rapport with the players there, and it's um, – He's become sort of a, a must-read on the beat. Yeah. Uh, two things on Mike as well. Uh, where do you stand on never kick and never gamble? Uh, I agree with never kick. I think I agree with both, actually. I'm, 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 Mike and I see things, see the world pretty similarly. <laughs> so, 
uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, with him on, on there, especially, I mean, I, 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 I guess I do like the third and one bomb to, to Tyler Lockett. It didn't work out particularly well last week, but I, I guess I'm like a little bit more gambling in that regard. But, yeah. yeah. And also his strange uh, dis- distaste for uh, sport team mascots as well, which seems to... Yeah, that's weird. Guy. I don't know who hurt him. But, um... <laughs> also, also, there is one, one thing. So my, the one, one of the few things that's come out of my hometown is two-tone music, which is also Scar, yeah. Stephen. <laughs> so, f- following, oh, fo- no. following the amount of uh, Seattle journalists uh, I do follow, Tim Booth, all the rest of them, your name seems to crop up quite readily with those three letters in the same tweet. Yeah. Um, what, what, I mean, are you a fan of ska? Is it? Is it? I, I I may have played in a ska band in high school. That may have been <laughs> something I did, and uh, yeah, when Tim and Jenks and all those idiots found out about that, they uh, <laughs> they never. They actually went behind my back. They they somehow tracked down my brother. I think Stacy Ross, uh, Stacy Ross did this actually. She found my brother and got the uh, got the name of the band and some of the songs <laughs> from him when I wouldn't tell her. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's my cross to bear, I guess. <laughs> so so uh, if the, the band are called the Specials, and it's pretty much one of the only things that have come from called Two Tone Skies. The Specials are legends. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. My dad went to school with the guy who wrote all the songs. Nice. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. That's the one thing that came out of my town. I saw it, and it, it sounds like you got them from all corners on that, and all corners of the Seattle beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, massively appreciate you jumping on the Pedestrian Podcast. Like open invite, if you're ever over in this our side of the Atlantic, an open invite to jump on whenever you want awesome. to talk guys. to us two idiots. Uh, Adam, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Oh. Jamal, the Seahawks have played a lot of games like this, just kind of bizarre games that are never over to the last second, and it comes down to that one play. Yeah. What did you learn about the team, your defense, even when it wasn't perfect, there was adversity, but um, I imagine that the, there was still positive vibes in the huddle. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just after the first play, you know, Russ throws it to G.O. G.O., you know, gets a little tip. He didn't catch it, and he goes over his head for a pick six. You talk about poise you talk about calmness you talk about swagger just just the energy was still there everybody came to the sideline was like don't sweat don't panic and that's what it's about man like it's just it's just the fight and the want to with this team we're gonna fight into the end